Hey folks, make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at Get Wrecked Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep, I don't know what you're into. I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, so I have to tell you this. I've been meaning to and I forgot. So, my cousin Michelle came up in the end of December. And you know, she came over, you got to meet her. Yeah. And yeah. But when she got there, the episode that had just came out was Blade Runner. And I asked okay. her, I was like, have, have you listened to the Blade Runner yet? I think it's probably one of the best ones we've done. I was very happy with that episode. And of course, you know, she's a faithful listener. And she was like, I liked it a lot. And she's like, I have to tell you something, though. She was like, I listened to like the first 30 minutes of it. And I'm like you just keep talking about a young, handsome Harrison Ford. And she's like, I didn't even remember Harrison Ford being in it. After a while, she's like, when are they going to talk about Wesley Snipes? (laughs) At that point, (laughs) at that point, she realized we were reviewing the movie Blade Runner and that it is a different movie than the movie Blade with Wesley Snipes. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. That's yeah. hysterical. That's great. Well, we should we should talk about Blade at some point, maybe. <laughs> with Wesley Snipes. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I am, of course, your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today, as always, by my friend and co-host. He's like rain on your wedding day. A free ride, but you're already late. Some good advice that you just didn't take, and who would have thought... It's Micah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's uh, Alanis Morissette, yeah? Yeah. You know, honestly, one of the best representations of God I've ever seen on film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> one of the best. Uh, I like that uh, in Dogma, they're like, you can't hear God speak. You, Your head will explode. And there's just a part where she like grabs, uh, I think think it was alan rickman's nose mm-hmm. and yeah he played like, the angel yeah. like uh gabriel uh he wasn't gabriel he it was a different name but he was like a messenger angel and she just like booped his nose for like yeah. type of thing dude that <laughs> movie's so good that movie changed a lot of my philosophy on faith really yeah weirdly enough as strange <laughs> as that is because it's a kevin smith film but yeah, it just kind of taught me to take things a little bit less seriously or like to to be open to, I don't know, having a lighthearted look at it, you know? That's cool. That's neat. Before that, I was a little bit stiff. Yeah, I could see that because that, I mean, that movie admittedly really doesn't paint 
religion in a particularly good light? Yeah, not not really, but I think that it does. I don't think that it goes out of its way to say religion is bad. I, I don't think that it's any of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think that they they did it from a viewpoint where somebody like me coming from a viewpoint of faith, I go, you know what? I can appreciate this. And, and honestly, it's a great movie. I really, yeah. really enjoy that movie. Yeah, George Carlin's incredible in that movie. Yeah, and I just love the idea of a cardinal being so full of himself and blessing his golf clubs (laughs) so so that he can do better at golf. That's just funny to me. Um, Yeah, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. But that's not what we're talking about today. We are getting into God of War 2018. I'm throwing that 2018 on there because... We're talking about basically the reboot that was done for the PlayStation 4. With this one, again, every time we try to recommend something, uh, we switch it up a little bit. uh, And this one is the same way. I didn't give this one to Thor for a week. I actually gave this to Thor, I don't know, like a month and a half, two months ago. Yeah, I think something like that. Uh, because, Because when I gave it to him... I said, you need to experience this like this. This is something that you need to just savor and play. I didn't want you to rush through it. Uh, I didn't want you to feel like you had to hurry and, you know, not get through parts that you wanted to. I just said, finish it whenever you finish it. We'll talk about it. So uh, with that said, this was made by uh, Santa Monica Studios, released in 2018 and you had never played any God of War, is that correct? Yeah. Prior to this? Nope. I had a like a tertiary knowledge of it. Yeah. Where I was like, I know there's a guy, I'm pretty sure he's like a Spartan or something. And he kills the Greek gods and then himself becomes a god. Yeah, and, that's... Uh... And then you just smack the shit out of people the whole game. And I knew there was stuff like you would fight like giant, like cyclopses and giant monsters and stuff like that. That sure. was all of my knowledge about it. Yeah, that's basically the story. I mean, there's there's more to it than that, obviously. But for the most part, um, the original story takes place in Greece and he is a Spartan and he gets used by the Greek god of war, Ares, and he ends up killing his family uh, at Ares' behest. He doesn't really realize what he's done. So he swears vengeance, goes after Ares, kills Ares in the first one, becomes the actual god of war, and then... Basically, all the Greek gods are crap. So he goes off and kills the rest of them in the, in the remaining two games. And then, <laughs> and then there are a whole bunch of in-between subsequent games. as Because it started, I think, on the PS2 when the first one came out. I'm pretty sure. And then God of War 3 ended on the PS3. And so they came out with those three pillars, God of War 1 and 2 and 3. But then there were a bunch of God of War something or another, God of War something or another for the PSP or the PlayStation Vita. A lot of handheld type of stuff. Uh, I didn't play any of those, but they all kind of are interwoven into this big storyline. Okay, yeah. And they just kind of add stuff into the main story. Sure. Yep. So with that, uh, God of War 3 ended and then it hasn't been touched for a long, long time uh, until God of War came out kind of remade in not remade but re-envisioned in 2018 and this time it's dealing with Norse mythology rather than Greek mythology so with that Thor what were your initial thoughts of God of War games it starts off the game looks beautiful 
Um, I do. It does kind of drop you in, and I don't know if the p- people who played the original God of War games, if they knew what happened to Kratos, because you, you get dropped in and essentially you're with your son. Right. You, he, he just calls boy. Boy. <laughs> and you're essentially preparing a funeral pyre for your wife and his mother. So I don't know if that was new to everybody as well. Yeah. But so I was a little, there was a little bit of confusion. I knew kind of what the story was, but I was like, I don't have any backstory at all. So I don't know if I'm supposed to know the wife or anything. Gotcha. So I was just a little bit confused going in, but I mean, the game looks beautiful Mm -hmm. and I like the way it starts. It just, you light your wife on fire, burn her at the pyre. <laughs> that, that's, I love how this starts. So, you know, you light your wife yeah, on fire. Yeah, you set your wife on fire. <laughs> burn her at the pyre. As we all often dream about. Kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then after that, this random dude just shows up and knocks on the door and decides to try and fight you. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, uh, so with that, the start of this game is a new starting point for everybody, even players who had played all of the God of War. Okay, so they didn't allude to where he was going or anything like that at Correct. the end of those games. Okay, yeah, yeah. So even as playing the old games, you are setting your wife on fire, and you're like, I didn't even know he had a wife, or or at least at this time he didn't have a wife. Okay, we we kind of leave Kratos be, and. We don't know exactly how much time is gone, but it's enough time for him to meet someone, fall in love, get married, and have a boy. And that's kind of where we're we're brought in because she because you never see uh, his wife. His name is Faye. You never actually see her alive in the game. You kind of see things about her memory and that type of stuff as the story progresses, but. But yeah, Faye is a character that nobody knew existed. Atreus is a character that nobody knew existed go- okay. going into this. Yeah, so with that, I mean, we're going to get into a good bit of this game. I don't know how spoiler heavy it is, but we don't really care about spoilers here. So if you haven't played God of War, you should play God of War. It's for the PlayStation. It's a PlayStation exclusive. PlayStation has recently been making stuff for PC. They're doing PC ports now with that type of thing. There might be a PC port for God of War. I would imagine that there would be because this was a very well-received game. But anyway, it's been out for a bit and we're going to talk about it. So you've been warned. We will talk about spoilers yeah. probably. And albeit. This, this is definitely a game where the story is important. Yes, absolutely. So <clears throat> and, and at the time of recording this, God of War Ragnarok, the sequel to this game, just recently was released. So you might be seeing stuff about God of War Ragnarok. Uh, that is a direct sequel major story plots in the first game are going to affect the plots in the second game. So for what that's worth, that's what we're getting into now that we've done that. So Thor, what do you think we talked about initial impressions? My first question is, what did you think about the camera? What do you mean? So did you notice that with this camera in the game, it never cuts. The camera is a single moving thing through the entire video game experience. I did not notice that, no. No? That, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so the camera never cuts, like with movies and things like that, where there's different camera angles. Anytime the camera changes camera angles, you actually see it move. Like the camera has a nice fluid motion to it. 
So there's no cuts through this whole thing. And they actually spent a lot of time trying to get that to work um, because they wanted to remove as little, even in the way of cut scenes or, uh, or loading screens. You know, if you think about them loading into the different portions of the game or the different realms, for example, how do they do that? They have this portal that you walk through and now you're kind of walking on this mysterious mystical ring bridge yeah that's, well no and that's an old mass effect trick right like was mass effect the first people that did that i don't know if they were the first ones i remember it was always you'd get in like an elevator or yeah. something and that was how you chat did. for a bit yeah so that but as far as the cutscenes, i didn't realize oh yeah but i mean i do i mean the game is so cinematic it's yeah. the story is incredible and I think a lot of that has to do with the way the story is told and how cinematic it is and how it really it's seamless it does go seamlessly when it goes into those cutscenes. Mm-hmm. It transitions very seamlessly from where you're playing and it has your normal perspective to now you're not. Yeah. Which I I just didn't consciously make a note of that. Okay. But it makes a lot of sense now talking about it. Yeah. That was something that actually stuck out to me quite a bit. I think that I I was aware of the game when it came out and I was kind of listening to the hubbub about it prior to its release. So that was a lot of what the hubbub was about was that there was this camera that just never cut. It was supposed to be a seamless camera through the entire game. And for the most part, they succeeded in that. So I think visually it creates a really, really neat look just because it's all one big shot. It's all one big take. Even from the very beginning opening scene, because the the main menu when you start is just Kratos by the tree, right? And then when you hit new game, he starts chopping away. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes from there. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I thought visually it was pretty neat. The people... The game is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So, camera doesn't really matter that much to Thor. All right. Next thing. Well, it's cool. I'm not saying... I just didn't notice. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing. How do you feel about... um, how do you feel about the the gameplay loop, the combat, that type of stuff? I love the combat in this. Yeah. So, spoiler alert for when we get to ratings, my rating is going to be real high on this. I really enjoyed this. Okay. And a big reason is I loved the combat system. It felt so fluid. It felt incredibly rewarding and very versatile. You can really mix and match how you want i don't know if this is true but my idea of what the god of war games the earlier ones were was kind of like a hack and slash smash the buttons and kill everything i don't know if that's how it is that's how it appeared to me basically you know yeah it didn't look that in depth it was it was a very well done hack and slash but it was essentially a hack and slash yeah, whereas this is almost, I mean, at its core, this is an adventure game, mm-hmm. kind of akin to uh, like Assassin's Creed or the Drake's Fortune games. Sure. Um, gosh, uh, have you played Jedi Order or Jedi Fallen Order? Uh, you know, I actually really enjoyed a lot of that game. There's a point, though, where you have to revisit an area that you had gone to. And something happened with my game where anytime that I tried to go back to that area, the game froze, crashed, and I could not get past that point. So oh, I had to no. I had to delete my save. And if anybody has ever experienced anything like that, you know how demoralizing it is. And you just are like, you know, I'm I'm done with this 
for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, I really loved that game. And this reminded me, I don't know if it's the company's, if the company that made God of War had anything to do with that, but they feel very similar. Yeah. The combat on this, though, I would say is better than any of those other games I named. Yeah. Once again, there's so much versatility. And at first, I didn't think I was going to like the axe because normally it's kind of slow and sluggish a little bit. Yeah. And typically like axes, when I play a combat game, I like a quick like a quick light strikes weapon. Okay. But the axe could do that. You could play it with more light strikes and running around and and then you can throw it and comes back and you you just keep unlocking moves Mm -hmm. and you gain experience really quick. Yeah. To be able to unlock the different moves and the the different play styles. And I unlocked some moves that I never used just because it wasn't my play style for combat. Sure. And I loved that. I loved <laughs> that it was just very versatile and you could experiment and do what was fun. Yeah. It's, it's what kept me playing this game after I beat the main story. I continued to play the game and grind oh. like all the you know the valkyries oh which yeah. are like the hardest combat in the game yeah i did all the valkyries and then eventually the valkyrie queen <sighs> and then when you go to niflheim and gotta close the tears i did all of that stuff once i finished the game i'm not somebody who plays games once i finish the story i'm done with it <laughs> okay yeah so, i because i'm just not so the combat like, sucked you in yeah usually the story is what i play for and i like mm-hmm. getting through the story and then i'm like why would I go back and finish side quests and stuff? Sure. I've already done everything. The combat was so addictive, though, that I was like, I just want to keep doing it. That's cool. That's really awesome. I had, I had a similar experience with that. So um, with that, not thinking that you liked the axe, how did you feel about the blades that he gets? I like when you get the blades. It's cool. Yeah. Although what and when I got him, I was like, oh, yes, I get a different weapon. I can mess around with it. Mm-hmm. I still ended up using the axe more than the blades. <laughs> Yeah, I like switching between the two. Sure. And, you know, using them differently as you need to. Yeah. So there's there's a point in the game where you have to go back to your home uh, because your son Atreus has gotten sick, like deathly ill. And you have to go into Helheim to kill this creature so that you can take its heart and use it to save your son's life. You find out that your axe really isn't going to do much there because Norse mythology hell Helheim is not fire and brimstone. It's cold and there's no heat at all. And your axe has this ice element to it through the whole thing. So Kratos goes, I know what I need to grab. And he goes back to his home. Under the floorboards of the hut that he built are his his chains and his blades from the first trilogy and, you know, ancillary games. So... For me, going back and getting those, that was a huge deal. Dude, and that scene is incredible because essentially what happens is you, when the game starts, Atreus, your son, is very sick. Well, and he's kind of like feeble and he's coughing and you're trying to like teach him the ways of of a warrior. Yeah. And, you know, he's struggling to keep up and eventually the sickness gets real bad and it's like a magical sickness. essentially and so he gets real sick and at this point the relationship is tenuous at best between kratos and atreus yeah at the beginning yeah um because atreus doesn't know that kratos is a god right has no idea also his wife didn't know 
Oh, really? Yeah. You sure? I think. I think. I'm pretty sure she knew. Maybe she knew? Okay. You played it more recently than I have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she knew. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm... Honestly, I can't say for once you said it, I was like, I'm maybe. I don't okay, know, so but. then we'll we'll cut this. Here we go. Also, his wife knew and didn't say anything to Atreus either. Yeah. But in any case, Atreus doesn't know that Kratos is a god. And so Kratos is tough on him, because not only is he a god, he was brought up as a Spartan. He was brought up to be a warrior. There's this beautiful line where they're talking about war, and he says to Atreus, he's like, in war the only satisfaction you get is the death and destruction of your enemy. Mm-hmm. Essentially something like that. Like he is a hardened, hardened person. And so, and Atreus is a sweet little boy who's not prepared for this life that he's about to be embarking on. Not at all. Yeah. Cause he's like what? Nine, 10 years old, somewhere yeah. around there. And he's been, raised up with just his mom and his dad and he's never experienced war and he's never really been trained in it. So in any case, that causes a real rift between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then they start to make up finally. And right when they do, Atreus gets deathly ill. And so Kratos takes him to this witch who lives under a giant turtle. Super cool. <laughs> Freya, Freya the witch. Yeah. You know, she's telling him you have to go to Helheim to you know, get some stone or get something magical. That's the only thing that'll save him. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you get on this boat on this waterway to travel back to your home to get your blades that have been hidden mm-hmm. where, and essentially Kratos is like left that life behind, you know, that, yeah, absolutely. you know, those things were buried because that's a metaphor for, he's like, that part of my life is behind me. Mm-hmm. And as you're traveling, once again, no cutscenes. Yeah. You get on this boat. Now you're traveling. And then the ghost of Athena, who I'm assuming he killed. Uh, I I'm trying. I think that Athena may have been one of the few who survived, I think. But she's got uh, like I don't, she's the goddess of wisdom there. So she's got a lot of mind, mental kind of magic and powers. Yeah. So I think that she was still, you know, playing with them. Yeah, so regardless if it was her messing with him or his own imagination or an actual ghost, but she essentially starts talking to him, kind of taunting him, almost like you can't run away from who you are. Yeah. You know, you bring death and destruction everywhere you go. Oh, man, when when that camera, like, kind of, because he's riding down it and the camera just turns, and at first Athena's not in the boat, but then... The camera kind of goes and goes behind Kratos. And so Kratos goes from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen. And as he swipes across the camera pane, Athena then shows up on the other side of this canoe that he's in. And she's just sitting there. And then it kind of turns again and it zooms into his face. And when he uh, he he says the line, Athena, get out of my head. (laughs) I was like, that's so cool. What a cool scene. Uh, it was just very, like you said, cinematic. Yeah, yeah. That, that scene was awesome. And really, because in that scene, you're like, you feel everything he's feeling. Like, it's yeah. so, such a, such a heavy scene. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So he ends up going and uh, digs up his blades and he takes those into Helheim. Yeah. And then you got fire blades. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So with that, maybe, maybe the appropriate way to go about this is let's, 
really abridge the story because I think that the story is kind of a maybe a tapestry for us to really dive into the relationships of the characters within the game. For like, sure, yeah. The gameplay loop, I think, is incredible. But I think, honestly, the strongest thing about this game is the writing of the characters and the relationship between all of them. Dude, oh my god, yeah. So the the gist of this, essentially, is you're going on a, like a pilgrimage to scatter your dead wife's ashes. Yeah, she was like, you have to take me to the highest hilltop in all the realms and scatter my ashes. And, and so you and Atreus go off. He's like... We got to go scatter these ashes. It was her last wish. Yep, basically. And and along the way, uh, you you do get met by a stranger. And what did you think of the stranger when when he shows up at your house, and then just a battle ensues between Dude, the, the two? The battle's of you. insane. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. immediately you're like, okay, this guy's like himself a god or something, and he's no shirt. It's it's nordic so there's snow all over the place and this guy just shows up no shirt on covered in these like tribal tattoos yeah and these like runic tattoo type of things yeah looks so cool the character design on him you end up finding out it's balder Mm -hmm. which is one of odin's sons yeah and i believe uh balder could not die that's kind of the lore of balder yeah balder couldn't feel anything for for better or for worse he could not feel or could not die um, so, yeah, you get into a scrap with him and you're like, I don't even know who this guy is. What's he doing here? <laughs> like, He just shows up on the door and it's like, let's fight, yeah. asshole. <laughs> yeah. So um, what happens is the Norse gods kind of become aware of your presence mm-hmm. or a couple of them become aware of your presence, particularly Odin becomes aware of your presence and he sends Balder to to the house. Now. I don't believe that Balder is necessarily there for Kratos at the time. I think that he was going there because of Kratos's wife. But anyway, they get the scent of Kratos and they kind of are, they become the antagonists behind the scenes of, of what's happening. But still it's, it's kind of here and there that that rivalry happens between, and you never see Odin in this one, right? You, you don't even see Thor. You hear about Thor, but yeah. he never makes an appearance. Yeah, the only gods you meet are Balder. You, mm. In the beginning, he's just the stranger. And eventually you also meet Thor's sons. Um, they have weird names. I can't ever remember it. Yeah, they both start with M. Modi. Yeah. And something. <laughs> um, Modi and Magni. That was the other one. Yeah, Modi and Magni. They're kind of like a duo that show up. They're they're almost like Rocksteady and Bebop. <laughs> they definitely are Rocksteady and Bebop. A little bit. Like you're not sure which one's which, and they just show up, and they're not really that tough, but they just are a hassle. Yeah, they're not that tough. They're not that bright. They're just yeah. a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Um, so they are kind of a reoccurring villain uh, through this whole thing. But we meet a whole bunch of other characters, too. Um, well, a whole bunch is might be a stretch. You meet like a handful of other characters. Yeah. Two that really jump out to me are the dwarf brothers who are blacksmiths. They're just awesome. Well, which So you got Brock, who's kind of like 
you know, he doesn't take any shit and he's always swearing and he's always angry and upset. Yeah. And then you have Sindri, who's kind of like a weird clean freak. Yeah. He's <laughs> always weird about like getting dirty and he's, yeah, getting germs he's really neurotic. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, which one do you like better? Oh, definitely Brock. Okay. For sure. I'm pretty sure that's the correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think if anybody likes Sindri, go away. What's wrong with you? Yeah, just because Brock would be like, you mind your fucking business. <laughs> yeah. Brock drops a lot of F-bombs. He really does. He really does. And he's blue. And you find out that he's blue because he was working on some magical el- like thing without gloves. And it dyed his whole skin blue. <laughs> and that's the reason that he's blue. Sindri tells you that. He's like, why do you think I wear these gloves? Because he's a germaphobe. Yeah. And the way that they kind of move around, too, is kind of cool. They have this weird ability to shift from place to place without being seen. And I think that it's kind of neat because then they use that as a gameplay mechanic where they'll just show up with a forge here and there for you to upgrade your weapons or your armor. Yeah, so you always know you're about to go into like a dungeon or something, you know, because you'll a shop. Yeah. A shop will pop up and it's like there's Sindri or there's Brock. Yeah, It's, it's pretty cool too. I always enjoyed it. Because you never see them first. You always hear them. You hear just like the clanging of the hammer. And you're like, oh, one of them is close by. And then you you know come around the corner and it's it's one of the two of them. And you've got a fun little conversation between the two. Yeah, and they're very funny because they had split up. In the beginning of the game, Brock uh, is the first one you encounter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I used to work with my brother. But we parted ways because he was a dick. Pretty, you know, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And then you meet Sindri and he tells you the same thing. And so the the whole way through the game, you're just like playing telephone between them. And one of them will fix up your weapons or your armor and be like, oh, what did he do? He screwed it up here. Let me fix it. And they just keep improving on each other's work. And once again, they take what is a a fun story and they turn that into like a game mechanic. Like when you level up your weapon your weapon gets better and it's like this time it's Brock. And then the next time you'll do it, it's Sindri. And they'll, they'll always be like, Oh, I see what they did here. Let me make it better. Yeah. They actually spent, so Santa Monica studio spent a lot of time really perfecting, I think narrative and gameplay and combining the two, like melding it together. I never felt like there was a point in time where you did something because it was a video game and that's what you do in video games. You know, there were, implementations of using the axe in puzzles by like uh pulling pulling drawbridges down and then using the axe to freeze it in mm-hmm. place so that you could go under it or go over it or use it as a bridge for something like that and then you get the axe back so things like that i thought were super cool because you could use the weapons for a utilitarian use in addition to just standard combat yeah you had to use your weapons to solve puzzles with. yeah one of my favorite parts about this game and we'll get back to the the narrative but what you said about like melding the gameplay story wise, nothing mm-hmm. felt like it was just doing it for a game. There are very few side quests in this game. Yeah, not a ton. And the one, but the ones that there are, they all feel relevant. They feel like they have a cool story attached to them and they feel worthwhile when you complete them. There's no, hey, go pick up a hundred pieces of. A <laughs> hundred pieces of wood yeah. and then lug them over to this place to get some gold or something like that. Every single side quest, of which there are a few, adds something to the world. It adds something to the story. 
Yeah. Um, it opens up uh, an interesting narrative point between Kratos and Atreus or mm-hmm. Mimir, once Mimir. You, and we'll get to him. But yeah, all the side quests felt relevant. And yeah. They all felt worthwhile. Yeah, I, I think that the writing was just great with all of it. The one that jumps out to me as far as side quest wise was dealing with the two ghosts. You had to go and find the son of this ghost because he had some item or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he ended up killing his father to get this item. And then you go track down where the son is and you find out that the son was dead and he was killed by his crew. And then you take the item back and it's not like a really deep uh, gameplay wise. It's not very deep. You're just going and getting this item, fighting things along the way, bringing it back to the ghost of, of this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they were raiders or what, but the narrative that went with it, because you've got Kratos and Atreus and they're talking back and forth through the whole thing about, is this just how it is? Do sons just always kill their dads? I, I don't understand how a son could do that to their father. Yeah. Yeah. That No, that side quest is so important. Yeah. Because exactly, you have Atreus questioning Kratos. Like, why would his son kill his father? I don't get that. I love you. I could never kill you. Why would he do this? Why would his son kill his father? It doesn't make any sense. Little does he know... Back in Kratos's backstory, he ended up finding out Zeus was his father, mm-hmm. and he killed Zeus. Kratos killed his father. Yeah. And at this point, Kratos still hasn't revealed to Atreus, at least when I did the side mission. Sure. Uh, Kratos had not revealed to Atreus that he was a god yet. And, yeah. And in the story, nowhere in the story does he tell Atreus, I think, that he did kill his father. Or maybe you, towards the end. You find out... So you see that happen when you go to Helheim, but you're with Mimir and Atreus is not with you. Yes. And he kind of has that vision. There's de- there's a co- there's a definite theme about this cycle of basically how crap gods are <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> through, through the thing and how this relationship of father and son is just not a good one because ultimately you find out that Baldur is Freya's son. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a good relationship and Balder wants to kill Freya. So Atreus sees that and Atreus, like at some point, I do know that Kratos tells Atreus that we will choose to be different. We will not be this way. So I think that he figures it out. I don't know off the top of my head if he explicitly tells him what he did. Yeah, I can't remember if he did or not. But in any case, yeah, that side mission is all about that cycle of fathers killing their sons. And it's it's really, you probably get some, you know, some piece of equipment that's not great or important. Yeah. But this the side quests aren't about just getting experience or getting loot. The side quests are about adding more to the story. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said they always feel relevant. They always feel worthwhile because that's that's kind of the purpose they serve is to just give you more insight into the world and into the relationship between Kratos and Atreus. Yeah. And I I think so. So with this story, that that connection between Atreus and Kratos, that was a a linchpin for what they wanted to do narratively. Because as you can imagine, this is, I don't even know what number of God of War games this is, but this was a revamp. And, you know, sequels, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and Till eventually it's just wild and zany and you've got to up the stakes all the time. Yeah. Right. 
So when they decided to make this game, they really wanted to reel it in and they wanted to tell a personal story. And and you see that because those two characters are who you spend the majority of your time with. And you don't see many of the gods of Norse mythology. It's very few. Yeah. And you, you see minor gods, Balder. Yeah. And Thor's two sons who you've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> unless yeah. unless you're a Norse mythology dork, you don't yeah. you don't know about them. And and then Freya. I don't know if there's any other gods that you meet. You hear about Tyr quite a bit. Yes. But as far as action, so it's not like there's this grand scope of this huge epic Avengers level story that they're trying to tell. It's very small in comparison to something like that. Yeah. The core of this story is this guy has taken his son on a mission to spread his wife's ashes, his son's mother's ashes. Sure. It, It is a very small personal story. And I feel like the bigger story just kind of like wraps around them. <laughs> and well, and you can tell they definitely wanted to knew they were making a sequel out of this thing. Yeah. Um, and we'll get that. So narratively where we were at was um, we were talking about how they they interact with the gods. And then we met Brock and Sindri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they eventually reach what they think is the tallest point in all the realms. And that's where they meet Mimir. And when you meet them, that's when we actually meet uh, the two sons from Thor as well. Yeah. Because they're kind of harassing Mimir and he's stuck in a tree. <laughs> Odin has placed him yeah. in a tree. So Mimir was not a god, um, but he was like, I don't think he was a god, right? I don't believe so. Yeah, no. I, he was like some kind of magical being. Though. Yeah. Perhaps a dwarf or he's something. He's the smartest man in existence. He knows everything. The smartest man that ever lived. He's friends with the giants. He lives for a long time. He knows more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I forget what he did, but he angered Odin. So Odin essentially turned his body into like fused his body with a tree. Mm -hmm. And then every single day for hundreds of years goes and torments Mimir. Yeah, it's wild. You kind of learn the depravity of Odin at that point. And essentially Mimir is like, yeah, buddy, you can't get. He's like, this isn't the tallest peak. The tallest peak is in Jotunheim. The world of the giants, which there you to dumb it down uh, for anybody who hasn't played the game. You can travel to the different planes with the Bifrost, just like in Thor, the Avengers movies. They have the Bifrost. You can travel to Helheim. You can travel to Mifelheim or yeah. Musfelheim, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, all of the realm. Well, you can't travel to all of the, but a, a good portion of the realms yeah. are available to you. But essentially, you could travel to the realms. Except for Jotunheim, the gate to travel to Jotunheim is fully gone. So Mimir's like, I have some ideas of how we can get there, but I'm going to need you to chop my head off and bring me with you. <laughs> yeah. And then so basically you just have Mimir's head, his, uh, <laughs> his dismembered head on your side for the rest of the game. And he's basically like a little sidekick. You yeah. Know, he's just constantly talking to you and giving you dialogue and stuff. Yeah. And he kind of becomes a, an exposition dump for you. Um, and you actually have to bring him back to life because you decapitate him. And then you need to take him to Freya, who at the time you don't know is Freya. Yeah. You just know she's some witch. Yeah. You just, you, she's a powerful witch and you're like, Oh, maybe, maybe the witch can, uh, can bring her, bring him back. And so, he you take you take her there or take him there and then she brings him back sees that it's Mimir and immediately once she brings him back from the dead spits in his face 
<laughs> I love that scene. And then he's like, yeah, I probably deserved that. <laughs> I probably deserved that. Yeah. And Mamir, I really enjoyed Mamir because he's just very nonchalant and very, he's very lighthearted through this whole thing. And he's telling all these stories about these horrible things that have happened. He adds a lot of levity to the, to the game. Yeah. Yeah. But not in a way that undermines the tone of the game. Yeah, no, because oftentimes he will also, when things get serious, he gets serious too. He's not like comic relief 100% of the time. Right. But in the downtime, that's when he keeps the game kind of interesting because he's always just telling Atreus stories about old giants and old gods and stuff like that. Yeah, and and a lot of, there's a lot of traveling in this game. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that traveling is done in a boat. And you're you're kind of going through the realms of the different areas in this big canoe. So anytime that you're in the boat, they're like, okay, well, let's tell a story. And it's I think it's a good way to kind of break up the pace of of the combat a little bit or of the puzzles. And it's just a little bit of brevity for you to kind of just relax as you're going to the next area. Yeah. Um, and have some have some enjoyment in in that because otherwise. I think one, it lends itself so that you want to travel so that there's not a a bunch of like fast travel type of thing in this game. There is some, but that's to get to the different realms. Yeah. And as the game goes on, once you get towards the end, the fast travel does open and up, Mm -hmm. open up and you can start doing it. But the first probably 50, 60 percent of the game, you can't fast travel. You have to actually travel places. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. And they did a great job of they wrote so much dialogue mm-hmm. for the trips because what will happen is when you're on the boat traveling, you'll have a ton of, you'll have dialogue and they'll just cut their conversation off when you get off the boat. They'll pick it back up when you get back on. And this game really, I loved exploring in this game. It was so much fun. Yeah. You know what I really loved about it? There was no mini map in the corner of the screen. Yes. I hate mini maps in the corner of the screen. <laughs> I hated them ever since Fable 2 came out. I, I don't know if, if you were a Fable fan at all of those games. I had like a deep love for them. The first one was really, really good. But the director of those games, his name was Peter Molyneux. And he said, you know, in the first Fable, we spent so much money making this beautiful game. And all you do is look in the top right corner of the screen when you're traveling through the game. You're not looking at the game. So in Fable 2, they got rid of the minimap. 100%. And ever since they like that happened and I, I kind of made that connection of, oh, I'm not looking at the game a lot while I'm moving around. I'm looking in the top right corner to see if I'm going in the right direction. I hate minimaps now. I hate them. Yeah, no, I think a lot of games have kind of switched to what I think is a better system which is they'll give you a little compass icon at the top that'll kind of give you the idea like oh hey i'm going in the right direction yeah i think that's a much better system and i think a lot of games i would say mini maps are not nearly as prevalent as they used to be right yeah i i would agree with that um yeah so i i agree yeah no mini map a okay with me so anyway no mini map in god of war um instead what they do is is they give you a whole bunch of realms to explore so when you're exploring you you do have that sense of wonder um and you're kind of like well i wonder what's around the corner type of thing yeah and those sons of bitches like i said they knew they were making a sequel to this and they did so <laughs> they did so much dangling stuff in front of you 
that you never get to experience. But I'm so excited that we started doing this podcast and now I got to play that game. Yeah. Because I can go and get the new one now and probably get a lot of that stuff <laughs> that they true. dangled in front of me. Yeah. Like specifically the realms. Mm-hmm. There are seven different realms. Something like that. Eight, eight different realms in any case. Yeah. There's Midgard and then I think seven other realms. There's yeah. Like Moosefulheim, Asgard, uh, the Land of yeah. the Gods, Niflheim, Helheim, Jotunheim. Uh, there's there's a number of different realms. You actually only you start in Midgard. The majority of the game happens in Midgard, Earth, mm-hmm. and you get to travel to. I think there's four different realms you can travel to. Yeah, it's but, not all of them. Yeah, there's some of them you never get to see. The sons of bitches, they knew it. But when you first start getting access to travel to the different realms. All of the realms are shown on there. Yes. They show you all the realms. They show you Asgard. Yeah, because you kind of go to this table and like the Bifrost is such that you essentially navigate on this table and say, "Okay, I want to go here. And so they've got little statues of each of the realms there. So, yeah, they they show it to you, uh, but you never get to go. Yeah, some of them you never get to go to. Yeah, absolutely. They dangle that in front of you. So with the story and with the narrative, you you take Mimir and there's a lot of stuff where you're interacting with um, with Atreus and Mimir, and you find you kind of see that Atreus has this weird knack for knowledge and history and languages, which is kind of cool because then Mimir can teach him things about uh, about the Norse side of his history. Because you got to remember, Atreus is half and half; like he's half Greek, half Nordic, and half god, half mortal. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. so the, uh, basically all the game you he's you believe he's half god half mortal. Yeah. So the game eventually kind of and I'm I'm kind of speedballing us through the through the narrative cuz I feel like there's just more to talk about even outside yeah, of the ton, narrative. Yeah. Um the game ends up where you I would say the biggest conflict comes in with Freya and her son Balder. Something that happens along the way is the dwarves are kind of leveling your your materials up. They're not just leveling up Kratos' stuff. They're leveling up Atreus' stuff as well. And he gets these, like, mistletoe arrows, these, like, green rock arrows from one of the dwarves. And then, I don't know if you remember, but after you have that and then you go see Freya again, she goes, what is that? Where did you find that? Don't ever use those. Yeah, she's like, they're evil. It's bad. Don't touch it. And Trace is like, okay, lady. (laughs) He's like, sorry. And she's like, here, I have some arrows you can use. Yeah. So so that was a pretty key point. And they kind of give you a big foreshadowing moment there without, I mean, I I thought it was done very, very well. Yeah. So you find out in Helheim that, uh, well, actually, I'm going to backtrack real quick. Thor, I would like to know your thoughts about the moment and the subsequent moments following when Atreus found out that he was half god. Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did skip god. Over. So we we talked about Atreus gets really sick. Yeah. And so you go to Helheim, you get this stuff, you bring him back to health. But basically, Freya, who at this point you have now found out she is a god, the goddess Freya, and Odin is her husband. Yeah, Odin's well. Yeah, I Ish. guess basically he banished her to Midgard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
He, he I guess they to... don't have divorces in the <laughs> in the Nordic mythology <laughs> right. world, but essentially, it, essentially he terms. kicked her to the curb. Yeah, yeah. and uh. and he married her to learn her people's magic, and then used that magic to keep her in Midgard. Yes, what yeah, a he's dick. a real dick. <laughs> but Nege, so for you end up learning Freya's god. She knows you're a god, and she's like, look, this sickness. The reason he's getting sick is because he doesn't know his true nature, which honestly, that doesn't really make sense. That part of the story doesn't really track. She's yeah. like, he's sick because he doesn't know he's a god. Yeah. And everybody's been telling you, like, you need to tell him. Yeah. And so eventually Kratos does tell Atreus, you are a god. All right, so now we're there. And it's so funny because now Atreus goes from being this, like, weak defenseless kid who's slowly getting better you tell him he's god he's a part god that he's a god and then he's all of a sudden arrogant so arrogant and he's like oh man killing those things was so easy like these are this is the best and he he starts having a like a real big superiority complex like he he starts talking down to all of the other characters that they come across yeah he's a dick to sindri at one point Mm -hmm. yeah and even there's even a point where um, where he ends up killing one of Thor's sons and he just stabs him in the neck. Yeah. We're just going to say Modi because that's the name I can remember. Sure. In it- any case, so one of the brothers Kratos kills earlier and then the other one, we'll say it's Modi, he keeps coming back and being a pain in the ass for you. And every time he's always like messing with Atreus. He's like, uh, I killed your mother. Your mother screamed when she died and just keeps saying stuff about his mom. And so now it's at this point where Modi is essentially like beaten. Yeah. And Atreus is like, dad, kill him. And Kratos is like, he's already beaten. There's no need to kill him. And the guy says something about Atreus's mom again. And Atreus just takes a knife and stabs him in the neck (laughs) and kicks him off a cliff. Right. (laughs) And that's kind of like the like a big point of contention for him and Kratos. Well, cause Kratos is trying to teach him not to be the way that he was. Like he's trying to say, he's trying to keep the memory of his wife alive by saying your mother was not how I am. Yeah. She was kind. She, you know, she understood the value of life and she understood all of these things that changed me as a person. And when he fin- finds out that he's a God, he's even like talking down about his mom and yeah yeah he's talking about like oh she ain't shit yeah she ain't, she ain't yeah. a god like us dad yeah and he's like you need to watch your mouth because <laughs> <laughs> he's like i'll go upside your head kid <laughs> no they did such a great job of making you re- i gotta tell you so i'm expecting a son and i got real playing this game yeah like he's calling him boy and he's teaching him things like I really got like cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Yeah. Really got vibes playing this game, right? And there's a part earlier where Atreus, Kratos does something, leaves Atreus for a period of time and Atreus gets really mad and feels very hurt by that. And that's the first time they're, they really kind of butt heads. Yeah. And then they make up. But during that time, Atreus is being like all salty and, and mopey. And he just keeps saying real smart. He's like, can we just go now? I'm so bored. Mm hmm. And they and it's so annoying. It's yeah. so irritating and frustrating. Yeah. And then flash forward to now, he knows he's a god, and now he's acting all arrogant. Same thing. Every time you kill something, he's like, "Oh man, that was easy." Yeah. And he's talking shit about his mom, and he's so annoying. He's so irritating. Like, 
you genuinely feel like a dad dealing with his kid who is like out of line right now. <laughs> yeah. And you and you're at a loss because Kratos doesn't know how to handle a young boy. Yeah, he's not he's an a, empathetic man. He, no, he has very little empathy or <laughs> he doesn't know how to show it anyway. He yeah. doesn't have those skills. He doesn't know how to deal with an emotional <laughs> young boy. Yeah. And you can feel it like the tension is palpable as you're playing the game. You yeah. feel like you have an annoying kid walking around that you just want to tell to shut up. Yep. You wish there was a button that could just like be Kratos saying like, listen, kid, you need in when when that happens, when that moment actually happens. Oh, boy, is it satisfying? Like when he just finally snaps and he's like, you need to quit talking about your mom. You need to recognize the value that she had in your life. And you need to recognize that I have not been a good father. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know what I'm doing. She knew what she was doing. It's, I don't know. It was just a really, really satisfying point to see. Yeah. And also a pretty meaningful point. Yeah. So, so in answer to your question, I loved that part because I hated it so much. Yeah. It was intentionally meant, it was meant to feel like you have a kid tagging along with you. Uh, um, and be upsetting and it was yeah but then once he once he kills a god yeah now he's officially in the club and he's like I'm just like you dad you kill gods all the time it's no big deal yeah um, and that is something that he doesn't get either because Kratos is like you shouldn't be this way and he's like dad you've killed like 12 <laughs> he's like you've killed hundreds of people in the last two weeks yeah <laughs> like are you not seeing this are you not seeing this? But eventually, yeah, he does come around. So, no, I really like, I love the arc of these two characters. Mm -hmm. It's There's a lot of growth. I would them. say it's not, they're not like doing something wildly never heard of before. It's, it's a story of a man who's been a bit estranged from his son. And now the mother is gone and he's left to raise the son. Yeah. And there he has to raise him in a difficult situation and he's doing the best he can. He's a sing he's just a single dad trying to get by. Yeah. That's what this story is. Single dad life when the gods are chasing after you, all you're trying to do yeah. is teach your kid how to hunt. Yeah. They're not breaking any barriers as far as storytelling. No. The content of the story, but the actual storytelling itself is so well done. It's so heartfelt, so meaningful. Yeah, I can't, I can't say enough about how much you grow to really care for and love these characters. Yes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that they really, they needed to do that. And I'll get into that a little bit more as we are okay. done talking the story. Yep. So we kill Modi. So then the last person to take care of is Balder. Mm-hmm. Because he just keeps showing up. And Balder can't die. And you end up finding out that the reason Balder can't die is because Freya cast magic on him to make it so that he can never die yep. because she couldn't live with the idea of losing him. Yeah. Which what, is understandable as a parent, which she didn't, but what she didn't intend is he can't feel anything either. So yeah. he can't die. He can't feel. Is that really living? Yeah. He, he even says that he can't like feel the snow on his face. He can't feel pleasure in addition to not being able to feel pain. Yeah. So he hates, there is one thing he can feel that is hate for his mother. That's true. Yeah, he does. That's really the only thing he feels. Mm -hmm. So in, in your, you have this kind of big confrontation between you and Balder and Freya gets involved in it. 
and she's kind of trying to get you guys to stop fighting and it it doesn't really work (laughs) because even though it's unsaid you kind of have a little bit of a thing for freya Kratos kind of like she's been a close ally and a close friend. Yeah, she's helped. And I would say it almost borders on romantic. Yeah, I don't think it is truly. But like, you know, she's one of the good ones. God wise. Right. Right. She actually helps Kratos Mm -hmm. and he cares for her greatly. And Balder wants to kill her. So he tells Balder, like, hit the bricks, kid. Like, if you try to kill her. I'm going to annihilate you. <laughs> That's what I do. And Freya's like, no, don't fight. Yeah. Kratos doesn't listen. Not at all. He's like, I don't care if you don't want me to protect you. He's a dick. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Yeah. He's like, I I can't let him try to kill you. Yeah. And she's like, no, just let him kill me. Yeah. Legitimately, she has the mindset of if if this is honestly what will make my son better, then if this is what my son feels like he needs to do, I'm not going to get in the way with that. Like, I love my child so much, I will let my child kill me, and I'm okay with that. Like, I've accepted that. Yeah. Which is a wild thing to think about. Um, yeah, because she's like, what can I do to make it right? And he's like, you need to die. And she's like, okay, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wild, but it's, I'm making it silly. It's very once again, this is very heartfelt, emotional yes. scenes. Yeah, 100%. It's really well done. And, but, but, but in that fight, right? Is, is this where you were heading? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so in that fight, um, he ends up punching Atreus, right? Is that how this happens? Yeah, and so Atreus still has a little bit of the mistletoe left because his strap for his, his uh, arrow quiver had broken. Kratos tied it together with a little bit of that uh, green string... Mm-hmm. from the or like green wood or whatever from the mistletoe that Freya had said to get rid of yeah and i think that there was an arrowhead that he basically used to kind of tie yeah because together. it was from hell so it's essentially death incarnate this material is essentially <laughs> like just death yeah so balder punches it and then all of a sudden he can feel it again yeah which means the spell's been lifted yeah and so light bulb goes off in kratos's head he can die now. Yeah. Yeah. That's when shit gets really real. Um, so there's there's another fight, kind of like a phase two of the boss battle. And it ends up that Balder goes to his mom. She just kneels down, opens her arms and is like, kill me, boy. And um, while he's just choking her to death, Kratos just comes up and he's like, nope, this cycle stops now. This whole cycle. And again, they're they're alluding to the father being killed by the son or the the parent being killed by the the sire essentially yeah so he just comes up grabs balder by the chin and just snaps his neck 100 just like boom and he's dead and it's this really cool cinematic thing where when he rotates the head the camera kind of rotates with the head mm-hmm. and then you just follow the head fall and hit the ground and you kind of see his eyes start to blood up and you see snow start to speckle on his face and he's feeling snow for the first time and forever and also the last time. And uh, there's a line that I wrote down because you would think that Freya would be like, I don't know, really torn up, but also glad to be alive. Yeah. You would think she's not be- that way because at all. Because Kratos beat Balder mm-hmm. and told him, Go now. He's like, I'm not going to kill you. You've been beaten. He's like, but if you come back, if you try to kill us or if you try to kill her, I will end you. 
Yeah. He gave him the chance to walk away. He did. And Balder could not. Yeah. That's when he started choking Freya. And so that's why Kratos was like, yep, gonna <laughs> snap your neck, buddy. Yeah. I gave you a fair warning. Yeah. So so when, when that happens, Freya immediately runs over, is understandably distraught at the death of her child. She's done everything to prevent this. Mm-hmm. She cast that spell. This is truly Balder is all she cares about in the world. Yeah. And so she gives a heck of a speech, basically telling Kratos that it does not matter where you go. I will find you. I will do everything within my power to send you to the depths of hell to make you feel the pain that I have felt. She just basically vows vengeance right then and there. It's it like turns like a dime. Her her wrath just immediately is like present. And Atreus is like, he saved your life. And she immediately responds with, he robbed me of everything. And that's the mindset that she had from it, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a wild thing. Yeah. To well, see. she had accepted her fate. She she didn't want to die, but she was like, if that's if me being dead is the only way he can live, then. Yeah, that's it. So I- and she. I can see it from her point of view. I think she's crazy, but <laughs> right. How do you, I was, I was just going to say, how do you feel about kind of that moment? Narrative. I love that part because it was an impossible situation. Yeah. Kratos could not let her die. He yeah. couldn't, there's no way he couldn't live with himself. Right. And, um, and through this whole thing, Kratos has had a pretty big character arc and he's kind of become less angry. I mean, he's still angry, but he's become less hardened. As the whole thing goes on. Yeah. The boy has really softened him up. Yeah. So they basically leave her to grieve. Yeah. That, Kratos is like, come on, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's go quick. Yeah. And, and again, Kratos completely understands where she's coming from. Atreus is like, I don't get it. You saved her life. Why is she so angry with you? He's like, I killed her son. Yeah. Dude. Like, yeah. She's going to be angry. Like, it was an impossible situation. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, that that was heartbreaking, man. Mm-hmm. It was fully heartbreaking. Yeah. So so then basically the all that's left in the game is for you to actually get to Jodenheim. You finally get there and you reach the top summit, the highest point, and you just have this really, really nice moment where there's no dialogue. And they just pull out her ashes from from this bag that they've been carrying it with. And they just kind of scatter her ashes from the top summit. And you see Kratos put his arm around Atreus. And that's the only sign of affection that he's done in this entire game. Yeah. <laughs> like So this, like putting his arm around him and just like letting that moment breathe, you kind of, it kind of pans out and it, it stays there for a couple seconds so that you can really register that this is, this is the journey's end right here. But the big kicker is after that. So is it then that the credits roll and then you kind of come down? And I think it may be before that. But in any case, so you climb this highest peak in Jotunheim, which is the land of the giants. It's been cut off. The giants left and they wanted because they were at war with Odin and Mm -hmm. they were afraid that Odin was going to exterminate them all. So they essentially cut off access to their realm of Jotunheim. So you end up finally getting to Yodaheim. That's where this peak is. And it's a bit of a cave. And 
you know, there's like Nordic tapestries all through the game and they kind of tell the stories. Yeah, of, like the of, history. Yeah, the of, histories, exactly. Yeah. And so you find one, and I believe it's on the way up. Uh, you find one which is essentially a prediction for the future. Yeah. And you end up finding out that Kratos' wife was actually, in fact, a giant. Mm-hmm. And she was supposed to give birth um, to a son who is Atreus, presumably. Yes. And that son's name is Loki. Yeah. Atreus is actually Loki, last of the frost giants. Yep. And if you know anything, you know, if you watched any Marvel movies, you'll probably know this. Loki ended up being the adopted son of Odin. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, there is a very interesting thing that Mimir says at one point where he says, Kratos, you coming, you know, being able to look into the future is a big part, like scrying essentially is a big part of like this story and like Norse mythology. And like Odin has a real hard on for looking into the future. Yeah. You know, he wants all the knowledge. Sure. And Mimir says at one point, you know, just because you know the future doesn't mean it's set in stone. And Mimir also says an interesting thing that Kratos, you coming into the picture, uh, nobody could have accounted for that. You really threw a wrench in things, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So Atreus was supposed to be Loki, was supposed to be Odin's yeah. uh, stepson, the last of the frost giants. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically how the game ends. And, and that's why he has powers and stuff like that. In addition to not only is he he's part God, part giant. Yeah. And that's the huge cliffhanger they fucking leave you on. Yeah, that's how it ends. That's how it ends. It's like, boom, God of War. And then the credits roll. And it's so funny. There's like, Loki, what's that? And yeah. and Kratos is like, I don't know. It's She said it was a name from, that's what your mother wanted to name you. Yeah. That's from her people. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and basically, I guess Kratos was like, no, that shit's dumb. We're naming him Atreus. <laughs> I ain't having that shit. We're giving him a good Spartan name. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. He named him Atreus after one of his friends, one of his Spartan friends. Yep. So that's that's basically the narrative. I think that the story is really, really well done. Yeah. Really, really well done. Something- yeah, we spent a lot on narrative, but I think it was necessary because that's... Mm-hmm. Anybody can make a good video game. Making a great story to go along with it yeah. is, I think, a more... A more rare task. So, so I want to go into a little bit about the development of the game. This was made by a, a company called Santa Monica Studios, and their biggest thing was they felt like Kratos had basically done his thing. Like he had had his time in the sun. Nobody really let, wanted anything more to do with Kratos. His whole story arc was done in Greek mythology. So they decided that they wanted to revamp him, and they said character growth has to be a thing we can't have kratos be what he was but they also were working on a different game that got axed so the um the developer said that designing this game he said everything was being designed from the ground up at the same time so there were mechanics that they didn't know and there were puzzles that they didn't know. And how do you design a puzzle if you don't know the mechanics of the game? How do you know the combat loop? You, they didn't even know the story. Everything was all being written at once. The uh, the director said it was like designing a camera and the film stock while shooting the movie, while then figuring out who you want to be in it while writing it all in the same day. <laughs> that was That was basically... Um, his description of it 
And that's wild, too, because the game does not feel disjointed in any way. Right. It feels so cohesive. Yeah, it it feels I mean, we've kind of gushed about how the mechanics and the narrative all fit together. But honestly, maybe that's why, because they were writing them tan- mm-hmm. like in tangent. Yeah, I mean, there's probably something to be said for that because they were probably able to change things pretty easily, like on the fly. Right. Yeah, because they said that there was a lot of waiting where they're like, okay, I've reached this point, but I need something from this part of the company or I need something from this part of development to progress on my end of it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, so I just thought that that was really interesting. And, and another thing was Atreus was a big deal for them as far as making a companion in the game, because companions can be real hit or miss in video games. And they wanted to make sure that he was used as a narrative point for helping be the catalyst of growth for both of the characters. But also, he was very, very, um, very, very adamant about making sure that Atreus wasn't just a narrative piece, but was also incorporated game mechanic wise. Oh, my God. That's so awesome, too. That was one of my favorite parts about this game yeah. was having the uh, the Atreus, the arrows and the abilities you can do with him. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, and it didn't feel clunky. It didn't feel tough because it was just like one button press, really. Yeah. They dedicated essentially in combat one button to Atreus doing things. And he pretty much acts autonomously. Yeah. Um, aside yeah. from you tell him, I want you to shoot arrows mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but it's all just one button, so it's super smooth. And I mean, all his stuff, I leveled all his stuff up like first. Yeah. Because I loved... I loved the companion mechanic in the in combat. Yeah, yeah, I think it was done really, really well. So, anyway, that's uh, that's God of War, folks. Um, Thor, what were your what are your closing thoughts on this guy? Closing thought: the game is incredible. Story is awesome. All there, it's not clogged with side quests. Yeah, which I said, and the ones that are there are awesome. They're worth doing. It's really an adventure game that wants you to explore. It feels rewarding to explore. It feels fun to explore. Like, you never know what you're going to come up to. Like, really, that I only have one piece of criticism for it. And honestly, I, it doesn't even affect my score on it because it's such a small thing. But things that gave me a little bit of irritation, I feel like the crafting mechanic to, like, upgrade your equipment and stuff mm-hmm. was a little bit dense and a, okay. little bit, a little bit of a pain. Like, unnecessary? Do you think? Yeah, to an extent, because it's like all your items, at least the good ones, once you start getting up to it, it's like they have this one this one specific piece of material you need to upgrade it. Yeah. And you have to just, you have to find it somewhere in this huge world where yeah. you can never upgrade. It felt like towards the end, too many of those like enchantments to upgrade your stuff. Sure. Um that all kind of did almost the same thing or had minor and it was just clogged. Like you'd have to go through a list of like a hundred different enchantments and they almost all do similar things. Yeah. And it seemed you could sell them for resources, but a lot of them you just couldn't sell. There seemed to be no rhyme or reason to (laughs) what you could or couldn't sell. So I think honestly, I just genuinely felt like not a ton of attention was put into that piece. Yeah. And then also, and once again, it's still with that crafting piece is like, I decided I wanted to, once I finished the game, I'm like, I'm going to kill the Valkyries. Yeah. That's like the hardest 
challenge in the game honestly the boss the final boss fight is balder mm-hmm. and it's more cinematic it's not really challenging I mean, it's right. challenging but it's not yeah it's not that challenging right. it's more cinematic yeah so if you want an actual really tough boss fight you go fight the valkyries yep to kill the first valkyrie though i just i couldn't it was just too strong so i was like i need to upgrade my equipment the problem is to upgrade my equipment, I need this piece of material that I have to kill the Valkyrie to get. So it's like you have this, it's like I hit a wall where it's like, in order to defeat this thing, I need my equipment upgrade. In order to upgrade my equipment, I need to defeat this thing to get the thing it drops. Yeah. Right? So, and God, I'm going to, I have a shameful, shameful thing to admit to you. Oh, no. Do you know how I got beat past it? D- what would you do? The very, f- I only did it on the first Valkyrie. Okay. I couldn't beat it, but I needed that piece of equipment it was going to drop so I could upgrade my stuff. Yeah. I dropped the difficulty down. (gasps) Uh, I I dropped the difficulty down so I could beat it and get the thing. And then I put it back up and the rest of them I did. Cause like that, (laughs) and literally that gave me like just enough of an edge Mm -hmm. that like, then I started beating the other. And then once you start beating Valkyries, they give you good equipment. Yeah. And then you start rolling. Yeah. The Valkyrie Queen, once I hit a wall with her again, and I, like, tried many times. Yeah. And then I finally, I had to go grind and, like, fully upgrade all my equipment. Yeah. And even then, it was like I had to try for, like, two hours, just <sighs> banging my head against the wall. Yeah. But, yeah, to beat that first one, I was like, I felt like the only way to accomplish it was let me drop the difficulty. I felt so scummy, dude. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I've made it this far. Yeah. And you know, I don't even, I'm not good at these kinds of games. I'm not, I wasn't playing on like super hard setting. I was playing on the normal setting. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, I was, I was just going to say kudos to you, Thor, like for going after the Valkyries because they're not easy bosses. And that's, that's something that if you talk to a person who dude, games. And who that's like, actually, and one piece of criticism too mm-hmm. is that's such a cool storyline because you're fighting these Valkyries and every time you kill one, you like talk to its spirit. Yeah. And it's like, what, where was I? I we're not, Valkyries aren't supposed to be in human bodies. They're like, what happened? Some evil thing happened. And essentially you end up finding out that Odin uh, talked to the queen of the Valkyries into doing this. Yeah. You know, he like bewitched her or something. But... Like once you beat her, you have like three lines of dialogue with her, and then it's like, oh, that's it. It's all resu- <laughs> like, as long as that quest takes, yeah, and as interesting as it is, they really skimped on the payoff. You they, think? Yeah, exactly. I that's see. the only of all the side quests that I said I loved so much, and they all felt relevant and mm-hmm. cool. That one left me wanting more because you have to put so much time and energy into doing it. Yeah. It's like, I want a little bit more than two lines of dialogue. Like, oh, yes, this was Odin's doing. I'm off now. See ya. Like, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's my, that's genuinely my only criticisms of the game. The crafting, the crafting and kind of like the materials. Yeah. I feel like that could have been maybe cleaned up a little bit, to gotcha. be a little more streamlined. Yeah, but minor, small potatoes, minor, sure. minor. So with that, then how does it affect your rating? Let's um, let's go to one out of ten Norse realms. Um, I don't have to think about it. ten out of ten. This is fucking. I fucking love this. It was awesome. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. You know, like I said, I had a couple small annoyances, but I mm-hmm. mean, it's nothing. It's 
it really overall it didn't affect my enjoyment of the game it sure was fucking awesome in comparison to the longevity of the game yeah and yeah. when you when you uh gave this to me you said like you know it's kind of universally loved which i didn't even know like i knew it had came out yeah um but i was like oh it must just be more god of war games like yeah didn't seem interesting to me at all yeah it was very purposely not another god of war game yeah no it's so good <laughs> it's, it's so good i i loved this it was a lot of fun <sighs> well good man i'm glad that you enjoyed it um what do you guys think do you love god of war as much as the rest of the world or do you think it's shit uh is old god of war angry kratos just screaming zeus is that <laughs> what god of war is and what it should be um yeah let us know get a hold of us um hey you know where they can do that where can they do that they can do that at get wrecked podcast on instagram and facebook or send us a message directly at our email get at gmail.com that's g-i-t-r-e-c-d-p-o-d at gmail.com that's right uh, <laughs> so so with that thor um that about wraps it up for god of war what's what are we getting into next week all righty so this one's been on the list when we first started doing this show your wife ashley came to me and she said i have a thing you have to make michael watch and that is the musical hamilton it is a pop culture phenomenon yeah um, it is available on Disney Plus. Okay. From Lin Manuel Miranda, it basically tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers, first Secretary of the Treasury, very important figure in American history. Um, oftentimes not talked about because he never actually ended up as like a president. <laughs> in any case, compared to like the other founding fathers, I think he gets lost in the mix a bit. But then Lin Manuel Miranda read his story and was like, somebody needs to tell this guy's story huh. and wrote a badass musical about it. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to do Hamilton. All right. Yeah. I know about as much about Hamilton probably as you do about or did about God of War. It's one of those things where I started seeing like the images and the screenshots everywhere and that's it. I'm like, okay, I don't know what it's about. <laughs> it's like it's about it, the the story of our founding father alexander yeah, hamilton <laughs> so like that didn't even register to me <laughs> i just saw a bunch of guys in like red coats i'm like probably it's and, a civil war and it's a mute <laughs> the civil war <laughs> <laughs> not the civil war but yeah the revolution mike is war. an art teacher folks yeah Always shut up i that. teach colors folks <laughs> i saw red <laughs> uh yeah so and it's not a typical musical i think it's a lot of a lot of hip hop influence and a lot of like rapping and stuff like that. So, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Not sure how I feel about that. Very cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, think, I think you like it. <laughs> All right. All right. Then in that case, next week, folks, we're going to talk about Hamilton. Sounds like you can get it at Disney plus. Um, Lynn, Muel, Lynn, Muel Miranda, Lynn Manuel Miranda, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, I know him because of Moana. That's why I know his, because he did the music for Moana. You know what I know I'm from? Hmm. First and foremost, uh, like two episodes of the show House. He was in House? <laughs> yeah, when House gets locked up and goes to, it's either rehab or prison. What? Or not prison, Yeah, it's but like, like, like the jail. last season. Yeah. Is he a cellmate or something? I, or he's, I honestly he's don't remember, but he's like, he's in house. he like buddies up with House. That's wild. I loved that show. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. That's it. <laughs> and when I, cause I had heard the name Lin-Manuel Miranda so many times. And then when I saw him, I'm like, Oh, it's the guy from, it's the character actor from house who was in like two episodes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, we're getting into house. No, we're not. We're getting, no, in, no. <laughs> we're getting into Hamilton. All right. Hamilton, the story of Hamilton. Hamilton, next week. Next week. <laughs> you can find it on Disney Plus. Come yeah. on back. Oh, and yeah. Give us a listen. Do that. Maybe we'll be in a better mindset. <laughs> Anyways, until next time, folks. As always, you get wrecked. Stay wrecked. Good night, everybody.